Hey, what's up, everybody? My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. As usual, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. Today's episode is another in the Control Room series, where I bring my buddy Ryan on to talk about all things Magic the Gathering and typically all things EDH. So, without further ado, I'd like to reintroduce <clears throat> Ryan to the show. Hey, Ryan, how's it going today? Uh, pretty good. I uh, really dug deep into the archives today to try to bring forth some pretty interesting stuff for the episode in terms of uh, uh, card content. Cool, cool, cool. All right, so the topic of today's episode are uncommon cards from the history of Magic that we believe actually outperform their status as uncommon cards and really start to get to the point where they may have the kind of impact that you would expect a rare or maybe even a mythic to have in their given set. So again, without further ado, Ryan, what is the first card on the list that you have curated from your own personal? Yeah. Okay, well, uh, the first card I'm selecting here is a card that I actually pulled right out of my um, Volrath uh, deck. It's mm -hmm. a card called uh, Feast on the Fallen. It's a uh, black card. It costs two generic and one black. Uh, it's an enchantment, and it says, At the beginning of each upkeep, if an opponent lost life last turn, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. And this was printed in M15, and it has not been reprinted since then. It's only been printed once. Mm -hmm. um, costs about thirty cents, I think, market value wise. Um, I like it a lot, especially given that uh, plus one plus one sources of plus one plus one, consistent plus one plus one counters are not exactly um, archetypal of the color black. You expect to see those kinds of abilities more often in white and green, typically. Um, in black, it's specifically handy in my deck because uh, I'm playing Soltai colors, and I'm playing like a Counters Matter um, sort of commander uh, deck strategy, specifically plus one, plus one counters. And, um, you know, when you first read the card, it doesn't look so great because at first glance you might think it puts a plus one, plus one counter on a creature you control once per turn, but you have to remember that this is every single turn, not just your turn. So this is any time an opponent loses any amount of life during any turn. At the very beginning of the next upkeep of the next turn, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. So basically, uh, in a game of Commander where you have three other players and any of them can cause any number of life loss effects to each other, either through damage or combat or whatnot... Um, this thing's going to trigger a lot. It's also going to trigger if you have something on the board, say, that's pinging everyone at the table, or there's some kind of other enchantment effect in there. And so you're, on average, nearly every single turn, you're going to be putting a plus one, plus one counter on on one of your creatures. So, uh, you know, maybe it, it sounds a little bit steep at first, putting three mana for an enchantment like this is a little bit slow, but it builds up pretty quick. Uh, it builds up even faster if you have if you use this in combination. Stack menace or winding yes, constrictor. Yes, menace or and winding uh, constrictor one. does the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the constrictor as well. I forgot about uh, that. That Golgari. Yeah. Golgari does have um, a couple of those double counter token yeah. doublers, but again, some of that can also be because uh, Golgari colors also have something like infect, 
which is something yeah. that you know also needs proliferation needs those counters on there so yeah it, yeah, yeah the, the fact that those two cards that are able to double your counters in the green black colors uh, definitely improves this sort of thing yeah and so it, it plays really well with proliferate it plays really well with having multiple counter doublers out which are you know they're not quite as common in a sultai color group um or at least in the black side of that than they are in like you know green white maybe selesnia and in green but, or, or, or just in green with doubling c's yeah, and parallel just, lives that, that type of thing um but when you do see it in black like this where it's it, it's um it's conditional upon people losing life it's actually not too too hard to trigger in general and um you can end up accruing obscene amounts of counters on a creature like I did that one game where I had uh, made copies of a Corpse Jack Menace, and I had three Corpse Jack Menaces on the field, uh, two tokens and one original, and they were doubling and then doubling and then doubling, and I was putting, uh, what was it? At one point I was putting, I think, eight counters uh, yeah, yeah. Eight, eight on counters a creature each, each and each every turn. Did something. Yeah. And ended up with a 40-40 after only mm-hmm. a couple turns. No, you didn't actually. You weren't actually able to do anything. No, with it, it wasn't. But the so. creature didn't have any form of evasion or trample on it. Uh, sadly enough, I didn't draw into any of that. But it's still pretty quick to be creating a 40-40 creature on like turn six. Um, it's not exactly like the most expected kind of thing to have around. Um, you know. It, I like this card a lot. I don't see it used a whole lot. I haven't really read about it being used in any decks or seen any deck lists that include this card really. Um, but but I really I really like it. I think it has a pretty powerful effect for for being an uncommon card, yeah, especially yeah. an uncommon card from seven years ago. Yeah. So, so um, my my thoughts on this card are kind of kind of go along with yours. Is the fact that the each upkeep is extremely important here. So in theory, every turn of the table, you can actually get four four triggers off of this if you're able to consistently do damage to people, which, again, if you're looking at that Bullwrath deck specifically, maybe it's a little bit more difficult to be able to do that without uh, some sort of pingy effect. Obviously, since you don't have red, um, it's a little bit more difficult to, you know, say, cast Lightning Bolt and uh, be able to get a plus one, plus one counter on here. But what it, this card actually really fits in a uh, fairly new commander that uh, came out of Commander Legends, I believe, and that is Belby Corrupted Observer. And Belby allows you to add colorless, colorless for each opponent that was dealt damage the previous turn. So if you're able to do something like, let's say, a Leech-Ridden Swamp, which is a land that allows you to tap it if you have a couple of black permanents on the battlefield and be able to ping all of your opponents for one at instant speed, well, all of a sudden, Belby is able to get that six mana right there. And if you're able to have this card online specifically then you are going to at least be able to get that plus one, plus one counter on that turn. You're, so you guarantee that you get it on that turn, and then you, obviously you're going to have other ways in the deck, in that specific deck, of being able to generate that mana on other people's turns. So this definitely seems like the kind of way where you'd be able to utilize the card Ryan's mentioned here and be able to get a whole ton of value off of it uh, three or four times around the turn order. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a great value card, in my opinion. All um, right, I really Ryan, like it. what's up next? Uh, what's up next? Well, I'm going to be talking about now going way back t- to the set Weatherlight. Mm-hmm. That goes way about, back. Oh, uh, yeah. So way, way back. Back in the days of yore of 1997, 
back when things were a simpler time and Commander didn't exist and everything was very, very understandable and there were only like three formats. Um, that is when this card came out and I'm talking about the card Argivian Find. Uh, for one white mana, you get an instant that reads return target artifact or enchantment card from your graveyard to your hand. And I like this card because it's really good. It's really good, actually. <laughs> and also because it's really old, and it's really, I think, held up really well. Um, as far as I'm aware of it, it's, it's probably one of the best recursion effects that you can get in white on an instant. And you can target artifact or enchantment card, bring it back to your hand. And for a one drop, that's pretty good. Considering like the average for that kind of ability these days that you see on commons and uncommons is, is like two mana to accomplish the same kind of ability. Um, so it's basically a selective regrowth for one. Mm -hmm. And because if you're playing the color white, you're going to... Well, a lot of white decks are going to have artifacts and enchantments. I mean, uh, if you're playing an enchantress deck and you don't have access to white, then you're definitely in the minority of enchantress decks. Uh, and in artifacts, it's not too difficult to run white either. So there's pretty wide, um, wide berth that this goes into. For me personally, this is a card that's from my uh, my Boros equipment deck, and I also use auras in that deck, so I can bring something back from my graveyard that say might have gotten nuked during a board wipe um to my hand which the great thing about that is is if someone tries to blow up my black blade because they don't want me running around with a 2020 creature then i can just pop it back into my hand again um i think this card at least last time i checked it was about a dollar i think Probably. I mean, it, it honestly seems oh, kind of Oh, it's gone limited. up a little bit. It's about a dollar sixty now. Okay, yeah. Um, it hasn't been reprinted since the Weather Light. It's not on, like, the reserved list or anything, but it's really no, good. No, no, no. Um, I mean, it, I don't know why it's never been reprinted uh, either. Well, to be honest here, Ryan, I would say that this is the kind of effect that White seems to be getting an awful lot of these days, the, the ability to recur things. Um, again, we usually see this with reanimator strategies, with creatures, but again, we, you know, you, and, and then when you have something kind of warping, like Sun Titan especially, you can oh, utilize yeah. that to be able to get pieces out of your graveyard. But again, given the fact that if your deck really needs some sort of cantrip and you can get something important out of your graveyard, instant speed for one white mana, it's a very good piece in the decks that are going to want something like that. Obviously, not every deck is going to want necessarily something like that versus, let's say, a Buried Ruin, which allows you to bring a land, which allows you to bring an artifact back to your hand from the graveyard. Yep. But, yeah, in, in the right deck, I can definitely see this being a, a real house, honestly, because it's just for one white mana, you're able to get any artifact or enchantment back. Well, you know, there, there's a lot of very powerful artifacts and enchantments that are in white or that you may pair in a deck that does contain white. So I, I, I can definitely see that while this kind of effect is not new and has probably been expanded and improved upon in a lot of ways over the years, it definitely sets the precedent for white being able to bring things back from the graveyard, which definitely fits with the whole white color pie theory that if you, again, if you've been listening to the uh, white is good actually series here on this podcast, you can hear more about why white is actually a really good color, even though it's very maligned in the MTG community. 
And you can hear more in the thoughts about uh, Mono White Board, Coach J-Row and I's on that on the White is Good Actually series. So obviously now that I've done my plug for that, we can return to the next card on your list. Yeah. Um, the next card on my list is another card I pulled from a deck. In this case, my uh, Mono Red Torbrand Punisher deck. Um, this card is is also really old. This one's from back in Stronghold. Slightly newer than, than our Gibeon Find, but... Uh, also from that same kind of era. Um, it's a card called Mog Maniac. It's also, uh, it's it's a red card. It costs uh, one generic and one red. And it's a goblin, 1-1. Uh, and it states, uh, whenever Mog Maniac is dealt damage, it deals an equal amount of damage to target opponent. So they have printed cards like this that have done similar things recently kind of uh there's the the one card that can fight another person's creatures that's indestructible the um, brash taunter that just came yeah, out of the for instance you see a um, lot of that in our meta actually this is like a prototypic brash taunter or maybe like um like ancient stuffy doll <laughs> ancient um, stuffy doll <laughs> yeah like stuffy doll version 0. 0.1 um doesn't jackal pup do something similar to this too Actually, yeah, Jackal Pup is similar, except it does it to yourself. Okay, <laughs> so I I know that I know that it, it seems like there's another card in red that does this sort of ability. But yeah, it's the 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 fact that you can effectively dish damage back in red, especially. I mean, this right here is actually very interesting protection against something like Chandra's Ignition, which can easily get out of hand. But the fact that it's going to go off next means that if you don't die to the ignition, you might be able to actually one-shot the person who cast it. It just seems like yeah. that kind of, you know, it, even though it's not a necessarily an instant where you can, you know, like Deflecting Palm, where you can just, ha-ha, I, I, I cast Deflecting Palm on your Comet Storm, and you're going to get domed to the face. Um, but, but it certainly seems like kind of some interesting, yeah. I guess, finisher protection, I, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah, and this is only found in about 540 EDH decks, according to EDH Rec. Um, so it's not a super-duper well-utilized card, um, but the thing is there's so many different things uh, that go with this card that can basically murder an opponent when, when you cast it. Any kind of damaged-based board wipe, like a Comet Storm or uh, a Star of Extinction is also quite hilarious. You know, combine that with a damage doubler of some kind, like uh, like a like a um, a furnace of wrath or um, something else, like on the field like that. That that can be pretty hilarious, uh, and that's one of the things that really um, uh, synergizes well with it. You can also use it as a surprise blocker or of, of some kind in order to sort of deter an opponent, because if Mog Maniac blocks their ginormous creature. Um, it's that ginormous creature is going to end up um, also dealing that damage to um, its um, controller. So it's really strong because there are a lot of red cards that focus around dealing damage. And because the, they can target virtually anything in the field uh, and often affect both opponents and creatures in play, they often also affect Mog Maniac. Now, it doesn't do damage to every opponent only does it to target opponents so you can't like multi-kill a bunch of people all at once mm -hmm. but you could conceivably copy his ability using cards that can eat copy or that can um double 
uh, triggered abilities and cards. Uh, it was is Trion is it Strionic Resonator that Strion- can do that? Yes. Well, Strionic Resonator does triggered abilities. Yeah. So that, oh, that, tri- that would yeah. work. Okay. And that can be pretty hilarious as well. Um, but I think it's it deserves more play than it gets. Honestly, yeah, it, 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 that would definitely that. require some setup. But the fact that you're able to at least dome one person to the face, even a couple of points of damage if you lose Mog Maniac. Um, definitely seems like the kind of thing that you'd want to be able to do in any sort of value-based yeah. deck. And, it just you, adds yeah. value to your Blasphemous Act, essentially. Yeah, actually, that that would definitely be perfect, because then you're able to hit everyone, or you're able to at least hit one of your opponents for 13 to the face directly, while you're also yep. getting a board wipe. So, yeah, that, that actually seems like some pretty good tech. So, again, people, you've heard it here first. If you're playing Blasphemous Act and you want a way to be able to hurt your opponents, play Mog Maniac. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. What is card number four? Card number four here is a little card called that I picked up back in the days of yore, back when Shadowmore was in standard. Uh, uh-huh. It's so about 2007, called... 2008 or yeah, so. 2007. Uh, this says copyright um, 2008 on it. Okay. So it yeah, I was, I was close. Uh, it's a card called Umbral Mantle. Mm. Umbral Mantle. Uh, actually, let me take a look at something here. I don't think it's actually a cheap card anymore. In fact, <laughs> no. in fact, it has been reprinted Mystery Booster, but it's apparently the market value is uh, $13 Oof. for this card. Um, this is just a random uncommon that I got during the uh, pre-release event for, for Shadow War. Um, or no, actually it was for Eventide. And um, basically it's a three-drop equipment card uh, that states... Equipped creature has uh, pay three generic and then has a little untap symbol because that was something that they did in, in Shadowmore and Eventide. They had this little experiment they did, this ability called untap that confused a lot of people where you could like uh, have a creature that you could pay some amount of mana and you'd be able to untap it, say, on your second main phase and it would activate some kind of ability. But anyways, it says pay three generic, little untappy symbol, and it says... This creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. And it has an equip cost of zero mana. Now what makes this card really good, and the reason that it's probably $13, is because it has an equip cost of zero, meaning that this costs absolutely nothing to stick on creatures, even if they're killed over and over again. Um, It effectively just reads, pay three and untap this thing that you've already tapped earlier in the turn. Um... So as you can imagine, that's really good because this is a repeated source of untapping. Um, and there's not very many of those available in the game. There's stuff like Pimmons Aura, and there's a couple other cards that you can attach to creatures and that will allow them to untap. But those are also auras, and they're, you know auras are kind of vulnerable if a creature is removed. This is mm-hmm. an equipment card, so if a creature gets um, removed, it just drops to the ground, and you can just yeah. slap it back on something again. Makes sense. That means that this thing is also broad in what it can do. Effectively, it synergizes with any commander that has a tap ability or any creature that does, meaning commanders that are in decks um, built around pinging things, decks where the commander can tap and copy something, uh, decks where the commander can tap and do something really, really obscene that you want to be able to do all over again. Uh, you can imagine this card being real broken when it's slapped onto a creature that can tap for some obscene amount of mana, where it can essentially you can use the mana that you've gen- generated from it to pay its own untap cost off of Umbral Mantle, 
and then utilize that to uh, to generate a lot of mana real quick. Um, it pairs really well with a lot of things, and it's 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 a kind of crazy for an uncommon, for, especially from that time period. Um, I, I I think it's it's probably one of the one of the best uncommons that I have lying around. And I, but I've never really been able to find a use for it actually in any decks. I've never actually been able to because I just don't have anything. Uh, I don't have have any commander decks that are led by a commander with a tap ability. So I've, I've just never really needed it. Nor have I ever built decks that are that are based around creatures with tap abilities, you know, like mana dorks or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Or, but, or I, this definitely seems like the kind of thing you'd see a lot with combo pieces, combo creatures. Just be able to allow them to untap, utilize mana, and then retap, add mana, untap, something like that. So yeah, it definitely seems like an enabler on here in the right kind of deck. So yeah, I, that's probably the reason why it's going up in price. Actually, is the fact it has an equip cost of zero. And it's fairly easy in those kinds of combos to be able to get three mana to then untap something to tap it for yeah. more mana, then be able to go through the whole thing again. So yeah, th this definitely feels like a combo enabler to me, and that's probably yeah. the re and and then the fact that it's only been printed once in in a standard legal set, and then again mystery booster notwithstanding, that yeah. um yeah I I and I'm going to assume it was maybe done in foil and mystery booster, which would definitely make it much scarcer just um... just just because. I'm the, looking at it, and let me take a look. Actually, I have that right in front of me. It looks like it wasn't in foil. It was just okay. Mystery Booster Standard. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, and it's still the same amount of money for both the reprint and for the original That's one. That's crazy. And it, it's still both $13, which it means... Mu it must be... It mean. was also printed uncommon in the Mystery Booster, so it's kind of nuts that it's still $13. Um, yeah, and it's in 6,320 decks, so... Yeah, on, on EDA track. So, so yeah, it, it, it's definitely um, the top commanders are include uh, Thrasios, Salvala, Heart of the Wilds. We're able to tap <clears throat> Salvala, get a whole bunch of mana, untap, retap, get a whole bunch more mana. Um, King Makar, Gold Curse. Obviously, if uh, becomes untapped, you uh, create a gold token. <laughs> it's obscene in that. <laughs> yeah, um, Azuri Renegade Leader to be able to give all your elf creatures. Plus three, plus three, trample, just a crinkle mob boss, just just and Kiki Jiki, of course. There's your, um, there there's your combo right there. But, uh, yeah, it, it, this definitely seems to me to be an enabler more than anything. I mean, uh, I think uh, the Thornbite Staff is another one from the Lorwyn block that's also an uncommon. That's also kind of expensive and powerful. That's the one that you know gives the. Uh, I think is it. I don't remember if it's the staff that taps or whether it gives the creature that it's equipped a tap ability that lets it uh, ping something, and then when something dies, it untaps, and so it it can uh, do all kinds of crazy hijinks. Like I don't I don't know. Like it so it's almost feels like it's part of a cycle kind of in cards that are uh, that help out pingers. Um, but it's it's probably so I went from talking about cards that I think are underplayed, like Mog Maniac. To this card, which I think is really powerful and played just about the right amount in a bunch of different decks. So it kind of shows the gradient in terms of what you can get with just uncommons, you know, and, and people don't really think about that. They think, you know, a commander deck is going to be full of lots of rares because rare is, ra the rare rarity is where things actually start getting good. But obviously that's not true because there's only a finite number of rares out there that, that cost $13 each. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, good. there's definitely a lot. Of, I mean, maybe the Lorwyn Shadowmore rares are more expensive now because those have really been going up in price as of late. But yeah, yeah. and the fact that Uncommon is able to do this sort of thing uh, and be $13, even though it was technically reprinted, is is quite a feat in itself. Yeah. So exactly. what is num the lucky number five on this list? So I'm for this next card, I, I am going back to obscure cards that were printed a long time ago and that aren't very expensive, uh, that are probably also underplayed. This is a card that was printed in Urza's Saga. Uh, it's called No Rest for the Wicked. It's a black card uh, enchantment that costs one generic and one black. Uh, it reads, Sacrifice no rest for the wicked. Return to your hand all creature cards put into your graveyard from play this turn. So, um, I think it's a card that if you think about it, it's better than it maybe looks at first glance. You gotta really think about what the color black does, um, and when you might want to have recursion rather than reanimation of a bunch of creatures. Um, and this is good for those instances where you want to actually use your graveyard as something to restock your hand rather than using the graveyard as like an extension of your hand. So let's say that you have a bunch of stuff that's board wiped, but you don't have a ton of reanimation. Like you're, you're actually playing a deck that tries to get value out of the graveyard or have recursion from the graveyard, then this is a, something, a form of protection that you can have sitting out there and you can sacrifice it at any time and return any every single thing that was put into your graveyard that turn, every creature, uh, and, and pop it right back in your hand. So ready to play it. So that means that you could, say, have your commander sent to the graveyard and pop it back in your hand to cheat out the... Uh, um, uh, commander text. You can um, pop creatures out of your graveyard that, when they have ETB abilities that say you know are particularly valuable to you, you could sacrifice your entire board of creatures to some kind of crazy ability, and then uh, sacrifice no rest for the wicked to bring them all into your hand, so that you could then uh, attempt a repeat of that uh, in short time. Um, for two, uh, two CMC, I think it's pretty good. And plus, the other thing that makes it great is that uh, you can drop it out beforehand and then just have it on hand in case things go south and have it, it activates at instant speed through sacrifice. And it's also in a permanent type enchantment that doesn't tend to have as much removal run, at least in the commander format. So it's a bit safer than, say, having a creature or an artifact with this kind of ability on it. Um, and so I think it's actually kind of underplayed in, in the Commander format. I know it's it's probably kind of an obscure card as well. Yeah, uh, according to EDH, it's only being played currently in 979 decks that are eligible to play it on the website. And, yeah, top, and com I'm, I'm... top commanders include Massacre Girl, which I guess under makes sense because she <laughs> <Yep>. kills <laughs> um, basically everything on the board. That's a one-shot uh, one board wipe in most cases if you set things up correctly. Sir Conrad... Luris of the Dream Den, Yawgmoth, uh, Muldrotha, Corvold, and Queen Marchesa. So again, a lot of the, the kinds of commanders that love to sacrifice things, put things in graveyards, a lot of aristocrat strategies. Makes sense if you can bring all the pieces that you just sacrificed back to your hand, be able to recast them again. 
Yeah, it doesn't get around casting costs, but sometimes you don't want to get around casting costs. Sometimes, like, because, you know, reanimation effects are really expensive, and sometimes you're much more interested in bringing things back piecemeal rather than, say, um, uh, bringing everything back with whatever, you know, like a Twilight's Call or something like that. Sometimes mm -hmm. you really just want to bring everything back to your hands so that you can kind of pick and choose what to put back into play again and that's where this thing i think kind of shines yeah and it's board white and, protection and that effect too and, and and it also works well for graveyard hate too is that if someone is obviously you can't with a bojuka bog since it's a land but if someone's trying to activate let's say a tormod script or rakdos charm or something that exiles your graveyard well all of a sudden you can sacrifice this bring all those pieces back to your hand and you don't lose them when that yeah. when your graveyard goes away and, you know, most of those reanimation spells, mass reanimation spells, they operate at sorcery speed, except for, you know, the aforementioned Twilight's Call, which you can run at an instant speed to kind of get around that. Yeah. Which means that you can't, like, uh, play Rise of the Dark Realms or whatever, you know, and go, oh, you can't uh, you can't get rid of my graveyard with your Tormod's Crypt. Like, you can't do that. But with No Rest for the Wicked, you could someone could be like, I'm now going to remove your graveyard and kill and get rid of all of your awesome creatures from your graveyard you could be like haha not so fast sack your no rest for the wicked and just dump everything from your graveyard safely into your hand and there's a lot fewer people run discard strategies in commander than run graveyard hate strategies because well people really don't like playing against card you know decks that run a lot of hand um you know, hand removal. Hand strategies. attack is not something that's typically very common in, in our format because no. one thought sees is not the greatest in our format because of so many cards, more players, but also just the fact that um, when, when you're denying, constantly denying people resources like that, it, it definitely seems to be one of those salty things that uh, yeah. a lot of people don't like playing against if you're doing a lot of it. So yeah, I, I, I can definitely see that being a, being a thing. So your your hand is actually in commander. I think in many ways is a safer place for your precious creatures to be than in your graveyard because at this point a lot of people have wised up and have no you know realized the fact that they should be running some grave hate in their decks to counter those Moldrotha decks or those other kinds of creatures you know um, and that's what makes this thing great um, and it's just really underplayed. Um, I I really with some especially this card i think this this hammers home my my hipster um credentials here in in really trolling uh magic's uh, back catalog here by digging up some of that gold <laughs> but no but in this case this isn't a jank card this is actually legitimately good this isn't something um that's like conditionally good i think that this actually works in a pretty broad variety of decks and works really well for its purpose mm -hmm. and it's under a dollar on tcg player and yeah. the card kingdom if you're interested in picking this up right now after you've listened to the podcast it's cheap not like umbral mantle <laughs> which is not cheap <laughs> well again since it's uh, been out for a number of years you may actually want to get your hands on a copy again if definitely make sure to go to your local game store if possible and if not Check out Card Kingdom or TCG Player, and there's always Guardian Games and their online CCG single shop. That you can find them again at ggportland.com. Yep. All right. What about number six there, Ryan? Where so, we, we, so, we, so we've gone through five cards. It seems like a lot of really cool stuff, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what else you've got in that list of yours. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next card I have is also an enchantment, also a black card. And also is really old, except that it's even older than No Rest for the Wicked. In fact, 
it's just almost about as old as you can get in terms of magic card i believe it first came out in arabian nights i think i'm not 100 oh that certain. that is old uh it's a card called ubalette uh, it oh, Oubliette, yes, yes, yes. This card yeah. actually was recently reprinted, I believe, in Commander Legends. It was reprinted in Double Masters. I don't know if it's been reprinted again. Maybe it has. Um, but until it had been reprinted in Double Masters, it had never been reprinted outside of, well, I think forever. Um, and so it was actually kind of getting expensive, like prohibitively so, because people... Have kind of, it went from being a card that nobody had ever heard of or played into a card that people went, wait a minute, this card is really good in Commander specifically as a format. Because it, it's a card that seems really janky, but they also changed the Oracle text on it and the way it kind of functions with the, the update um, to it, to where this Ubalette now... Because it used to be a card that no one could even figure out how it worked exactly, to now Ubalette, Ubalette works... Um, with the new phasing rules now. Mm-hmm. So the, the way the card works is different than what it was previously as well. And the effect it has is really good. Like, really good. Um, oh, yeah. You can think about it in terms of it almost being like a prison uh, prison term for black, except unlike prison term, this thing makes something disappear and, like, not come back. Until you get rid of Oubliette, um that creature phases out, which means it's not on the field at all. Uh, and phasing out is about as close to exiling something from the game as you can get without actually exiling it from the game. Mm-hmm. It's and a mono-black so that... Oblivion Ring effect effect, uh, yeah. effect. Yeah, and except unlike Oblivion Ring, it has certain specific rules, components to it that make it better than Oblivion Ring in many ways. Or... or um, uh, banishing light or those other cards that say remove something from play um those cards when you remove something from play um say you remove someone's commander from play it goes to the command zone oubliette i believe the rules on phasing are that something does not leave play but it becomes untargetable yeah and uninteractable in the game just like teferi's protection is that you're you're not leaving the game you're just phasing out. So mm-hmm. it so in a way you're almost going to a different exile zone than the standard exile zone if that makes any sense to the listeners out there. Yeah, yeah it yeah, so so if, so it gets around all those problematic things about being able to return people's commanders to their command zone, but something else that I really like on here is the fact that unlike Oblivion Ring, which is uh, again the white card for two white white and effects like it where when that card leaves the battlefield the creature or artifact, depending on the card you're using, will just return in its normal state as if it's a new creature, new artifact whatsoever. So when it comes in untapped, but Oubliette gets around that and the fact that it forces that card to come back in tapped. So again, all of a sudden, you're able, if there's something terrible that you've cast Oubliette on, you lose Oubliette. All of a sudden, that creature that comes back, but it comes in tapped. Well, all of a sudden, that, that actually could have an impact on the game depending on where you are, depending on what the creature is, board state, et cetera, et cetera. So I think having that extra level of protection in there definitely makes this a, a very improved version of, uh, of of Oblivion Ring type effects. And it, it's also the kind of effect you're going to want on indestructible creatures because, again, indestructible is something that's very difficult to get around most of the time. Obviously, 
there's are ways to get rid of indestructible creatures, but this is a very nice way to be able to get rid of something extremely powerful and be able to to try to be able to derive some value off it. So, so yeah, Ryan, I, I do agree with you on this one. Oubliette is definitely something that is definitely underplayed in our format, and it, a lot of that obviously had to do with the fact it was only printed previously in Arabian Nights before it came out in Double Masters and is now included on the list as well. So again, if you're interested in picking up Oubliette, which is actually a favorite of the professor on the Tolarian Community College channel, oddly enough, um, if you want to pick up a copy of this, it's less than two bucks right now on TCG Player, both for the list version and the Double Masters version. Yep. And it's just a really mean thing to do to someone's creature. Yeah, I mean, but uh, what's it's, different it's, than putting it on the bottom of someone's library, returning it to their yeah. hand, or or even just straight up exiling it? I feel like what's great this about is it naive. is that it's a different um, card, does a different thing, and, and there yeah. are some kind of broken things you can do with it because it, it forces a creature to phase instead of just getting exiled. It doesn't trigger their ETBs, so if you slap it on someone's commander that, say, has a powerful ETB effect, even if that person destroys this enchantment, which, you know, enchantments are kind of hard to target on general because there's less removal of that in the format, even if they do, that creature is not going to pop back into play. What the creature is going to do is phase back in and just become interactable. It's not going to trigger any ETBs. It just, and it's yeah. also, it just if returns. that creature, say, has negative one, negative one counters, or that creature, say, has some other unfortunate things stuck on it, it keeps those. Those don't go away. So the way the rules of phasing work, it's in many ways, it's, it's, um, it's one of the best forms of um, unconventional removal available to black in the format in that it's, um, it, it's very creative in what you can do with it. And I, 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 really, I really like the card. I'll yeah, just put it I, that way. I, I agree with you. This is not a card that I was really all that familiar with coming into this coming into this discussion. So thank you for bringing this to my attention. I think this is something that I may want to start slotting into a black deck of mine or two, just as an extra piece of removal, since black does struggle sometimes to be able to not unconventionally, as you mentioned, kill creatures. It's not necessarily the biggest exile color. So uh, for, yeah. for, like, for like a mono black deck, this is almost as good as Exile in, you know, 75, 80% of cases. Yeah. And I mean, there's tons of black removal. There's like, you know, Anguished Unmaking. There's, there's... Uh, but non-mono black, because that still requires white. Yeah, yeah you're right. It. So uh, the Utter End does the same thing. So yeah, yeah, if you're playing a mono black or you're playing in uh, like uh, Rakdos or something where you don't necessarily have ways to be able to really deal with creatures outside of destroying them, um, yeah, definitely give Oubliette a look. It's very cheap right now, and as yep. we've just described, is extremely sneaky and extremely underrated. Yeah, All right, so exactly. going off of Oubliette, that's going to be a really hard one uh, to actually follow up on, honestly. What is oh, number... I got, a, I, I got a card. I can What is up. lucky number seven on our okay. list today? So this next card, this is, in my opinion, one of the most powerful uncommon cards ever printed, aside from maybe like Soul Ring and a couple others, absolutely bonkers cards that were printed in the first few sets. Imagine better than Stormcrow. Yes, it's better than Stormcrow. <laughs> nothing this is card, be nothing is better than Stormcrow, Ryan. Just this card not is flat, so nothing. good. This card is so good that is actually not legal in Commander. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this card I'm going to put out here. What are you trying you to do here, Ryan? I, 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 I can't tell the listeners about cards that aren't legal in Commander. It's, it's. So ah. you can't, yeah, I don't play it. 
in Commander. Um, I'm saying that if oh you have God. to have a vintage deck lying around, that this might be something you want to slot in. Sure, sure. Um, if, if, if I have a $20,000 deck sitting around, I'll definitely include an uncommon. Sure. Oh, no. No, this is this is very powerful and also not very expensive in terms of monetary value. It also is reprinted recently, which is also something that you don't see very commonly in a card that's banned in almost every format. You don't really see Wizards reprinting a lot of those cards. This one, it was reprinted. All right, all right. So, so now for the listeners, you are mm-hmm. now going to hear a card that is okay. banned in Commander. Again, if you want to play these kinds <laughs> of cards. banned everywhere, pretty well, much. <laughs> but, but, but again, if you want to play these cards with your playgroup, definitely have the Rule Zero conversation first because other people may not really be all that interested <laughs> in playing this card. It's banned for a reason, so... With that caveat out of the way, what is your banned yeah. lucky number seven card, yeah. Ryan? So the straight up busted card I'm talking about is a little card called Tinker. Oh um, no, so, no, no! So we're, we're, we are not doing this again, Ryan. I have had to sit through dealing with your vintage deck, and it's too painful. Yeah, so Tinker is is in my opinion probably the most uh... one of the most powerful uncommon cards ever printed it was printed during the absolutely broken urza block my head hurts um, <laughs> at the height of magic's power level and its ridiculousness in terms of interactions um, with artifacts it's a blue card that costs two generic and one blue it's a sorcery that states at the time you play tinker sacrifice an artifact right Search your library for an artifact card and put that artifact into play. Shuffle your library afterward. Right? So it's not that bad. That's not that powerful. Well, all it does is, you know, just it's basically just a crop rotation for artifacts. What what could possibly go wrong there? I mean, crop rotation isn't banned in any format. Everyone loves crop rotation. You sacrifice a land and you put a different land into play. Right? Sure, sure, but crop rotation isn't also going to just lose everyone else the game on the spot. Oh, there's a reason why know. it's banned. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing untoward about this. About this card. I mean, what could you possibly do with with a card that lets you sacrifice any artifact to bring any artifact into play directly from your deck? <laughs> so, <coughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like you could use Tinker to get rid of a mana rock and then immediately dump a Blightsteel Colossus into play for free directly from your deck with no strings attached and maybe even give it haste by attaching like a Swiftfoot Boots and immediately attack someone and kill them immediately. Yeah, I mean... It's not like you could do that on the the first turn. So so are you trying to say, though, Ryan, that um, in, in all fairness, though, that this card, in theory, if we look past, let's say, some of the most broken things like the Blightsteel Colossus, for instance... Could Tinker be something you think would actually be legal if there was kind of that power conversation where say, hey, you can't go find uh, Blightsteel Colossus, but if you could go find, I don't know, sacrifice one of your random artifacts for, I'm, I'm trying to think, uh, Darksteel Forge or something, you know, give I mean, all your artifacts indestructible. You think that would make it more fair of a card? You could, you could, but it's hard not to if you're running Tinker do something super broken with artifacts. And you have to remember that Tinker also came out as the same time as absolutely busted cards like Gaia's Cradle and especially the even more busted Tolarian Academy, which gave you obscene amounts of mana and, and allowed you to untap and tap things at will and also recur things from your graveyard. So next thing you know, you're recurring Tinker because Tinker is not removed from the game when it does this. Oh, you know, that's right. It doesn't it right exile itself. Into your hand. 
Yeah, you can pop it right back in your hand immediately if you have the mana and you have a, a recursion card allowing you to tinker another thing and okay. put something else that's incredibly broken. Okay, okay Ryan. Um, thought, food for thought here. If wizards were to, again, they, they wouldn't since this is definitely banned for a lot of reasons. But if wizards was to reprint something like this at let's say like seven mana or something, and you could only find an artifact of so many, like CMC six or less or something, and then it exiled itself. Would you consider that to be more acceptable than Tinker as it is? So the funny part about Tinker is Tinker was actually an attempt um, by wizards to design a fixed version of another card. I can't remember if it was Transmogrify Artifact or something or other that also lets you... Um, bring another artifact into play or whatever. But the problem is is that when they were designing this card, um, evidently something went horribly wrong, and people were really not playtesting or thinking during the Urza Saga block, because Tinker is way more powerful than any of the other previous artifact search cards. Effectively, it's the most powerful artifact tutor that's ever been printed, um, because it tutors the thing into play for zero cost. You could I you could make a fixed tinker, but it would be hard to do because of the nature of it effectively being an artifact crop rotation. And because artifacts with ETB abilities are just plain old high power artifacts are pretty commonplace, and sacrificing some chaff artifact to drop a powerful artifact into the field is inherently powerful. Even if you put a CMC restriction on a card, even if you put up all these roadblocks to it, there are ways that people could break it. And sure, sure, break sure. It really hard. But how does I, I, again food <clears throat> for thought here? How does how is this card any different from something like Goblin Welder, which is on a creature allows you to tap, sacrifice an artifact, and bring something back from your graveyard straight to the battlefield? I feel like that right there, um, even though it's in red you know, gives you a lot of the same value as Tinker, and you can do that over and over again. So the problem with Goblin Welder is that Tinker, you can tutor from it, out, tutor it out of your deck, and play it instantly on the turn that you could, say, have enough mana, mana to play it uh, with when you ramp up to it, and it's something that can, um, it's not a creature, so it's not something that people can target unless they have a counterspell handy, so they can't just blow it up. Uh, it, you can play it, uh, it's incredibly cheap, uh, you, unlike Goblin Welder, the, the target doesn't need to be in your graveyard. You can yank it right out of your deck, which means that you don't have to self-mill or do other weird strategies or like use Entomb or something to bring something into your graveyard. Um, you can just yank it directly out of, out of your deck, um, which in my opinion makes it way far more on a different power level compared sure, to Goblin. Sure, sure. Welder, yeah, you can do all kinds of crazy uh, hijinks with Goblin Welder or Duretti or whatever, but all of those require you to self mill or to discard or to have things put into your graveyard. Whereas this one just overrides, just skips that step entirely. Sure, unless sure. Just yank something directly out of the library, which is what makes it so inherently powerful. And so, creating a fixed version of this card, it would require a lot of work. Um, okay, that, you, 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 you know that that's actually that's a really fair assessment on this one. I just wanted to play a little bit of uh, the, the 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 other <clears throat> side of the coin on this one is that we do have effects like this. It's just that they require yeah. a lot more setup uh, to be able to get there yep. versus just Tinker being straight up powerful, doing yeah. typical powerful blue things for very low cost. 
Yep, it's straight up one of the most powerful uncommon cards ever printed. Um, banned in nearly everything because of its power level. Uh, I believe it's restricted in vintage. So it it's it's really good. It's really good. And it's actually yeah. not that expensive a card either for its power level. Sure, sure. It, you can't play it in anything. That's yeah, probably it, why. <laughs> it, it, it is restricted in vintage. So vintage is the only art is the only format you can actually legally play Tinker in right now. Yeah. All right. What is number eight on your list? Hopefully something that's not also banned. No, it's not. I don't have any other banned cards here waiting in the wings to, to dump out here. However, uh, I do have some. Jeez, even I have a few banned cards uh, in my collection, but I'm not going to talk about them right now. <laughs> well, I have a card that was printed really, really recently, as in printed in the last set, is the most recent set. Well, reprinted in the most recent. Are we set. talking about Call um, Time here or Zendikar? No, or I'm Rising? actually talking about Time Spiral Remastered. Oh, so, so, so we're talking really, really recent, yep. as in the last so this couple is weeks. A card from Time Spiral itself. Uh, this card is a card called Lost Oromancers. Um, it was just reprinted. I think it's pretty cool. It's a good card in my opinion. It's underplayed in my opinion. I think it goes into a lot more decks that are than are currently running. All right, so Ryan, um, what does it do? Yeah, so it's a white creature. It costs two generic and two white mana. Uh, it's a human wizard, and it's a 3-3, three, three, and its text states it has Vanishing 3, which, you know, Vanishing is this ability from Time Spiral that basically puts up, when the creature comes into play, it enters with a bunch of counters on it, and then you remove a counter every turn. And then when it doesn't have any counters on it, the card uh, is sacrificed. And then usually something triggers at that point, or it's a temporary creature or something. In this case, it has a second ability on it, and it says, when Lost Oromancers dies, if it had no time counters on it, you may search your library for an enchantment card, put it onto the battlefield, then su shuffle your library. So Lost Oromancers is effectively a tutor? A time-delayed tutor that tutors from your library onto the battlefield. So, actually, it kind of ties into the Tinker, come think of it. Except it's, yeah, it definitely um, does. It's just for equipment instead of... Oh, I'm sorry, specifically in equipment, but yeah. Except Lost Oromancers only works with enchantment cards. So, instead of artifacts, uh, enchantments typically are a little less broken and usually don't typically have quite as many things that can be triggered immediately as soon as they hit the battlefield, for one. Uh, they can't, you know, enchantments usually don't aren't able to grab other enchantments and start some kind of runaway chain like artifacts can do. Um, also, Lost Oromancers has the vanishing ability, so theoretically it's time delayed by about three turns when you can actually get that payoff effect and actually have something dropped onto the field. What makes it good here is that it effectively means you pay four mana, keep it alive, for some turns, and you can drop any enchantment from your deck into play. Um, Seems good. Enchant you can. There are some very expensive enchantments out there that we can think of. Um, uh, omniscience isn't an enchantment, is it? Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it is an enchantment. So you oh. could drop omniscience on the battlefield. <laughs> you could drop. Geez, there's so many really. You could drop doubling season utilizing this. I mean, and, and again. I, for some reason, I was thinking aura or enchant, you know, like equipment aura, or sorry, an enchantment aura, and I, I wow, I, I wasn't even thinking straight. You mean an actual straight up enchantment card? Yeah. Wow. 
So what makes yeah, it's not it doesn't put an aura onto the field. I mean, you can put an aura onto the field if you have some all star star aura. You yeah, want to attack? I, just, I really read that wrong. This is much more powerful um, than even yeah, I was thinking it was. It's a yeah. It, so it can grab any enchantment out of your library and stick it to the field, which means it by it, there are some really ridiculous like what i'd call win condition kind of enchantment cards that basically are like when this thing comes if you can power out enough mana to play this enchantment unless someone deals with that enchantment immediately like they're screwed another one is um <laughs> I, I think it's uh that one uh rakdos card that um you can attach to an opponent and it basically causes them to it's like a curse Oh, the uh, um, which one that is. it's it's not Havoc Festival. It's oh, I I I know what you're talking about. I have I have it in my collection. We're we're looking at Captive Audience. Captive Audience. That's another expensive enchantment that um, if that pops out, um, someone's gonna have a bad time. Um, you have cards like that. You have these powerful curse spells you can put out. You have cards like Omniscience. You have cards that a lot of enchantment cards that actually have alternate win conditions printed on them <laughs> that you could power out into the game. You have um, enchantments that, for all effects and purposes, can really make your board state unassailable. You can do put any of those out on the field um, without paying their mana costs with lost oromancers. The card is really inexpensive in terms of monetary value. Um, also is is just really good and that and isn't you, even counting the ways yeah. that you can cheat the effect of lost <laughs> because the other thing about vanishing it is it's counter based um there's ways remove... to take counters off creatures <laughs> oh yes there there are ways to remove counters from creatures or move them onto other creatures uh there's a whole card theme devoted to that so um yeah Remove all the counters from Lost Aramancers and it instantly tutors for something effectively. Yep. Uh, so it, it's really good. And it's underplayed for what it does. It's really yeah, good that, in any kind of Enchantress deck. It's really, really good in seems, any kind of deck. That seems good. Like, say, a white go-wide deck where you want to get some super-powered um, Anthem effect going and yank it onto the battlefield. You could drop this down and get that. None of your opponents are going to know exactly... Um, what you're going to grab with this, you know, because you're, you're, you're taking it right out of your library and putting it onto the battlefield. You're not tutoring it into your hand and revealing it to everyone and saying, Hey, this is what I'm going to play. No, this is an effect that puts it right onto the field. So mm -hmm. your opponents are going to want to deal with this guy and, and kill him real quick. <laughs> Ma makes for, for kind sure. of an interesting decoy, I suppose, in certain decks, but also According to EDH Rec, it's only included in 473 decks. Top commanders include Nazan Revered Bladesmith, who's more interested in equipment cards. Um, Tiam Luminous Enigma, the creature from Ikoria that cares about counters. You can remove them. Again, you can pay three and remove three counters from a creature, which is Lost Ormancers, to be able to put the top three cards from the library in your graveyard, return a permanent card with a converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So there you go right there. You have Time Luminous Enigma. Yeah. You play Lost Ormancers, immediately activate that ability, remove the three vanishing counters, and then if you can kill Lost Ormancers somehow, sacrifice it, whatever, you can immediately get that value without having to do any additional steps, as well as yep. Zur the Enchanter, who is very well known in Esper, the 1-4 uh, Human Wiz Wizard in Esper Colors, 
who's known for running enchantment decks and yep. putting straight things straight on the battlefield when it attacks. So, yeah, Lost Romancer seems like the perfect kind of deck if you're running a lot of enchantments, especially a lot of game-ending enchantments. Ryan included Omniscience. We can mm-hmm. look at even something like, uh, that goes more in your Punisher deck, something like Furnace of Wrath, a Dictator of the Twin Gods, something like that where you can start doubling yep. damage, doubling season. Yeah. Uh, th- th- there's a million blue enchantments that are absolutely broken in every single way. There's other cards on this on this list on EDH rack here. When when I'm looking at this, something like Sphere of Safety, Ghostly Prison, Propaganda. You can even use this just to protect yourself, honestly. So mm-hmm. there's really no limit to what you can do with this card. Marari's Wake. There's just so oh, many yeah, things you can Marari's do with this Wake. card, especially in white, that it gives you access to some of the best enchantments in the game, hands down. I mean, if you really need a smothering tithe out of your deck and on the field, and you really need cards in hand, you can always do that with this. You, if you need, say, something uh, like you know, ghostly prison, or if you need uh, another kind of pillow forty card for your own protection to keep you alive, you can do that. Ristic you study can, can come out here. Can, Mystic yeah, Remora can, can come out here. That, all the all stars yeah. of the format you can drop into to play. You could even card. play Oubliette. Oh yeah, you could play Oubliette. If you well, I, I don't know if that's the most optimal play with a card well, that can cheat. If you absolutely well, if you, really Ryan, need it, if you yeah. absolutely need it or O Ring or something, and you really need an instant speed, it could be worse. Yeah, I, you, I'm okay. Yes, there could be worse choices. You could put a one drop enchantment tutor that onto something or something or garbage, or even get someone like Sigarda's aid out of your deck for instance to be able to enable all your oh, other yeah. equipments to be able to start doing things i mean even that right there is a good setup piece yeah, for, well, for other decks i don't understand i understand that this is telegraphed you know and if you if, if your deck isn't equipped to remove counters from things then maybe this is a little slow maybe also this is kind of a big old target for removal but you can always slap hexproof on it with if you're playing an enchantress deck you got a million ways to give things hexproof or protect things right mm-hmm. put protection on this thing um protect it from other things you know it's not that hard to do in a lot of white decks and the payoff for it is is so tremendous for what you're, uh, you're and getting. you're gonna lose it sometimes but to be honest we as edh players lose a lot of our permanence all the time so yeah you're, you're, you're not going to be able to cover all your bases, but if you can even get this even half the time, I think that val- that mana investment you put into it is fairly good because it only costs four. If someone kills it, you're you're out four yep. mana. You're, you're not out your omniscience mana, for instance. It's Sometimes yeah. it's worth a try. And again, something that I really preach on this channel is to try new things, try cards out that do yep. silly, fun things like this that, you know, they may not survive. But again, you're only out that four mana, and just give it a shot. You never know. Yeah, and I think it's powerful, and I think it's legitimately underplayed. Uh, I don't think this is a jank card by any means. I think this is kind of an underutilized card for Enchantress decks. Sure, sure. Uh, and I think there are ways to get around the the downside here, and that it's a squishy creature. I think there's a lot of ways to work around it, and um. Ultimately, I, I think that the payoff is worth a lot more than that. And, and I think versus hard counting, casting, say, your omniscience or something, mm-hmm. or a person could just counterspell can't that. Can't be countered. Then, I mean, do it this way. Yeah, and it can't it can't be counterspelled because it's a creature ability unless the person is utilizing a creature, uh, you know, a creature counter. I mean, and there's not as many cards that counter activated abilities out there versus hard counterspells. Yeah, and, you're, and, you're and, 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 and something onto yeah. the field. 
and making it hard for a person to deal with that. The only way they can get through to this is if they hit that creature, you know, and, and there's a lot of ways to get around that in white. And white is also like the second best color, color when it comes to reanimation and recursion out there. Sure, sure. So you can always bring it back after you sacrifice it or after it gets killed, you know? All right. So moving on to your ninth card, what do we have there? So this card actually interacts pretty well, now come think of it, with the former card. Um, and actually, <laughs> this actually would work pretty well with the other card in multiple ways. Um, this is a card that I believe was first printed in M12 or M11 or something like that. Maybe even before then, come think of it. This, that's just the version of the card I have. It might actually be a lot older. Uh, it's a card called Spirit Mantle. Uh, it's a white enchantment aura. It costs one generic mana and one white mana. Uh, it has the effect of enchanting a creature, and it, it the enchanting creature gets plus one, plus one, and has protection from creatures, a.k.a. Uh, it can't be blocked, targeted, or dealt damage by creatures. So um, I think protection from things is undervalued i think in edh at times compared to some of the other ways of of giving things uh making things difficult to remove you know like indestructible or or even blinking things or giving things hex proof um i think protection from creatures is one of those things that you really don't see a ton of but protection from creatures is better than just protecting something say from one color one time or uh, mother of runesing a creature in that what it this card is great for is enchanting a creature and then effectively making it unblockable it can't Voltron. With protection from creatures can't be blocked because by its very nature it has protection from every single creature in existence regardless of color even artifacts um it can't be dealt damaged by creatures so you you can't ping your um your you know, full shock sorcerer and, and, and ping it and kill the creature because it's got protection. It has protection from cards that, um, like big game hunter where you could, you know, creature abilities that could kill a creature or Royal assassin, for instance, or Royal assassin, for instance, um, you can't, it can't be targeted by the ability of any creature. So various abilities that a creature could use, say that could, um, say you have a, a, a creature that could, Cop, make a copy of it of another creature you, you can't target it with that ability um spirit mantle i mean for for a two drop that's pretty good it's effectively not that much different than than giving your creature hex proof and indestructible from other creatures and making it unblockable and you also you know, get that plus one plus one and you get too. Plus one plus one so it's just gravy over the top of it it's a gravy card I think it's under-costed, honestly, like by maybe one mana for mm -hmm. the, the gravy you get from it. Well, it and is it is an aura, so again, that's it is part an aura, of it. So it's a little bit vulnerable, but you're making a creature less vulnerable. True, true. To, to being killed in combat or being killed by creature abilities, right? I mean, yes, you can still remove the creature or, or, or put out um, some kind of board wipe, but... You're also, if you're playing white, you probably have another aura that you can also stack on it that gives the creature hexproof or something. Um, I use this in my Voltron EDH deck. It's super effective for what it does. Um, I It also works a bit with Lost Auromancers. If you want to use your Lost Auromancers as a blocker and not have it die, <laughs> you can <laughs> slap Spirit Mantle onto it. 
or you could bring Spearmental into play with Lost Armancers. So, Lost Spearmental could be good in an Enchantress deck, really good in a Voltron deck, good in a lot of decks that include the color white, but particularly decks that have strong commanders that you want to be able to utilize in combat somehow. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. All right, moving on to number 10. What do we have finishing off this list for today? So for today, I'm going to I'm gonna finish off the list with a pretty obscure card, or really obscure card, from uh, Mercadian Masks. So okay, going, going back a ways. Pretty far back there, back to the early 2000s, late 90s period of Magic's history. Um, it's a card called Diplomatic Escort. It's a creature, spell shaper. It costs uh, one generic and one blue mana. Um, it's a 1-1 creature that has an activated ability that, that states... Uh, Pay one blue mana, uh, tap it, discard a card from your hand, counter target spell or ability that targets a creature. So it's a spell shaper. It's part of the spell shaper series of cards. And almost all cards that have the spell shaper type include an activated ability where you basically tap it and discard a card or pay a certain amount of mana and effectively... You can almost think of it as it turns a card that you discard from your hand into a spell, kind of. You know, you're discarding a card to get value from a card, say, that you might not have use for in your hand. In this case, it turns any card in your hand, um, by the way, not necessarily a blue card. It just says discard a card from your hand. So that can be any color, meaning this also is quite splashable. It turns any of those cards into effectively a one a one blue spell that counters anything ability or spell wise that targets any creature in play so that includes things that target your opponent's creatures you could counter their uh attempt at putting um um, an aura into play on their creature you could counter um some kind of combat trick that they're throwing out you could counter spell something some form of removal that's targeting creature. In fact, you counterspell any form of single target or multi-target removal with this creature. And you also, I believe, can target ETB abilities and, and, and also counter those as well with Diplomatic Escort. Um, so it's really good, actually. I, I think it, yeah, there's probably some more efficient sort of ways to counter these in the format. But... I'd say for an ancient uncommon from Mercadian Masks, that's like I think twenty-five cents. Um, I think it's it's actually priced pretty well in terms of what it what it can do in in any deck that runs blue. If if you want to utilize this as like a control strategy, or to to get value um, from cards in your hand, you know, and you're in the best color for getting cards into your hand in blue. And so you might as well use those extra blue cards that you have in your hand and, and get that value out of them, at least for things that you don't plan on on, on utilizing right away. Especially if, if someone is trying to blow up your commander uh, with, say, uh, you know, someone's trying to, to scour it from existence, you, know, you, can, you can counter that. You can counter someone's attempt to putrefy your, your, your favorite commander or creature. Um, so... And unless they have a card that can counter an activated ability of a creature, 
they can't counterspell this counter this this counter ability. Um, so you, the only way they could do that would be to instant speed, also remove this thing from play. So it's it's an obstacle to attempts to to do things in the game, and I think it does it surprisingly well for for a card that's underplayed as this is. I don't I don't even I've never heard anyone ever mention diplomatic escort or even anything. I I'm the I'm not going to say I'm like the only person that knows about the existence of this card, but it's pretty damn obscure. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, it is only in 106 decks on EDH rack right now. Yeah. And doesn't really see a whole lot of play. I mean, other thing, obviously this is part of a whole cycle out of the Mercadian Mask set. So you're going to have other things like Silverglade Pathfinder, Devout Witness, Bog Witch, and uh, Hammer Mage as well. Yep. And yeah, I, I, this is definitely the, having a repeatable counterspell and then being able to discard cards. If you're not, even if you're playing a mono blue, it's good. But if you're playing in, let's say, black, so you're, you're playing Demir, you're playing Soltai, this card really works. You're able to get something out of your hand for just one blue mana, tap it. You're able to counter something. You find a way to untap it, all of a sudden you have it available again. The fact that you can have a yep. counterspell on a creature that you can activate fairly easily, because again, discarding a card is not exactly a large cost. So, yeah, th this is definitely an under underrated card. It's only $0.25 cents currently on Card Kingdom, and obviously it's not going to really go up because it's not the kind of effect that a lot of people may find fun in Commander, especially if you can untap it, but... Again, if you have ways to be able to utilize this, even some, it's it's rather rather good, all things considered, especially for yeah. two mana. And I think what keeps this from being oppressive, say, if you, I don't know, equipped an umbral mantle to it and okay. allowed it to untap, the thing that, make, that keeps this thing, I think, from being too oppressive is the fact that you have to discard a card from your hand you're gonna run out of well, in theory you could yeah. run out of cards eventually obviously in blue you're gonna be drawing yeah. a whole buttload of cards but yeah it still is um aside from you know like if you're playing sultai or demir or something includes where you actually want to have discard outlets in many cases like that that is a bit of a downside i think it also it, it the fact that it's not just a drop a blue mana and discard a card and and cast it the fact that it requires you to tap um, diplomatic escort means you can't, unless you give it a haste, you can't have it um, activate the turn it comes into play. Um, it, there are some limitations to it in the fact that it only counters things that target creatures. Mm -hmm. So let's say someone plays a board wipe. Well, that's not targeted. So Comet Storm. Well, okay. Again. Comet Storm is. If but... you if you target a player, that is. Yeah. Or Fireball. Let's go with that. Yeah. So you, yeah, you could counter counter those kinds of things, but um, I think, I, yeah, I don't think it would be an oppressive kind of card, but I do think it, it's a it's a actually better card. Uh, I would like a lot of the spell shapers actually, and I think a lot of them are underplayed. There's a couple that are played. I think they're better in Commander than than they ever would have been in other formats because you know Commander is based around accumulating resources and card draw is so elemental to it. And I think there's always going to be an opportunity for which you can uh, chuck a card into the discard pile and maybe make better use of it as fodder for, for a spell shaper effect. Um, and I just think this is one of those spell shapers that's kind of gone way under the radar uh, in terms of its abilities, you know? Yeah, definitely. 
This seems like one of those things that could be quite nice in the right deck. Yeah, I think it, it's it, it's a little niche, but I do think that it would work uh, and and pretty well in decks that um, that would that, that could you know maximize the value out of it. All right, sounds good. So you have just heard ten of Ryan's favorite uncommon cards from throughout Magic's history that he believes are actually much more powerful than their uncommon status would normally afford them if we we're looking at the standard cards. Again, I want to thank you, Ryan, for taking the time to be on the podcast today. It's been great talking Magic the Gathering with you, as always. Yeah, and I, I think that this goes to show you that at cards rarity level, it does not indicate the power level of a card necessarily. I think that there is... Yeah, it's, it's definitely that it can often indicate a power level. It can indicate a complexity level. But as some of the cards that I that I talked about here show, there's also some really powerful cards that have been printed at that power level and, and are really good in the format of Commander in terms of enabling a bunch of different strategies. And I think that there are also some underplayed gems in the Uncommon Rarity that maybe have been skipped over in the ways that rares haven't in the past. Sure, sure. And again, you've been listening to the Control Room series of this podcast. We have the entire Control Room back catalog, as well as the entire back catalog of the MTG and Quarantine podcast, available on Spotify, Google Casts, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast outlets. You can also find me, MJ, on Twitter at at MTG in Quarantine. So again, for Ryan and for MJ... You've been listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. Have a great rest of your day.